Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. My co-host is Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, the past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles in the association. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. We recently went on a podcast recording blitz at the ANA meeting in Chicago. We conducted lots of interviews with some of the industry's most interesting people. Okay, Sharon, well, we're recording live today from ANA Annual Congress in Chicago, the Windy Illinois. City. Yes, messing up my hair. Oh, yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> So with us today, we have two very special guests, and we're lucky to have them. We have uh, Sophie Thomas and Dave Hubert. Hubert! You told me Hubert. That's what I I said. I did not. Sharon, that's why. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. She does this to me all the time. She told me that Hermes was Hermes. Hermes. See? Oh, my gosh. Well, if I was in Sophia's hometown, it would be Hebert. Hey there. there you go. It would be. Yeah. And, and Sophie's hometown is? Is New Orleans. Oh, my gosh. Right. And I'm actually Sophia. Oh. <laughs> See, she did it to me again. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You're going to be okay. We're yeah. just going to go and visit Sophia in New Orleans. There you, you could go. do a podcast from New Orleans. Hey, is that an invite? That is an invite. We Officially. love it. Sign us yeah. up. Yeah, we'll definitely be We'll there. go to Brennan's. We'll have a great time. Well, our topic today is, is a little bit off of the nurse anesthesia theme that we typically do, and we're talking about the role of nurse practitioners. And Dave is the CEO of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, and Sophie, Sophie, I'm going to do that every time, Sophia, Sophia, is the president currently of the association. So we're lucky to have you two here, and we'll kind of kick it off with Sophia, and we'll talk about... What are nurse practitioners? That's a great question. Well, nurse practitioners like CRNAs are advanced practice nurses. We've all gone back for further education in assessment, physiology, pharmacology. We diagnose, treat, examine patients, prescribe medications, provide care equal to or better than sometimes our physician counterparts. Mm, Um, Absolutely. The literature bears that out. The literature based on uh, 50 years of evidence. Um, We've got quality studies. We treat patients across the healthcare spectrum 
diabetes, asthma, acute and chronic illnesses, as well as treating patients from birth all the way up through the elderly. Is there this rivalry kind of like there is with nurse anesthetists and the anesthesiologists? I'm using air quotes as a rivalry. Is is there one with, I guess, family physicians and you guys as well going on? Is that kind of the same battle? You know, I wouldn't want to call it a rivalry. Uh, Certainly, I think there are enough patients that need health care. Certainly in this world, in this country, we have a a shortage of primary care providers. I know for my state in Louisiana, 85% of the citizens of Louisiana are considered to be living in healthcare professional shortage areas. And those are the areas that nurse practitioners can provide health care to our, our citizens. So I think there are enough patients across this country for everybody. So you are the president of your professional organization right now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your tenure, how you came to be in this position and you know I've served as president of our association so God bless you I know <laughs> I know what a position and what hard work that entails so why don't you tell us about your organization just a little bit okay so the American Association of nurse practitioners has almost 100,000 members I think we're at 99,400 right now so in the next couple of weeks we'll be crossing that 100,000 member whoop, whoop. Um, mark we're very excited for that there are about 270,000 nurse practitioners in this country. I've been involved in AANP for the last 23 years since mm-hmm. I became a nurse practitioner in, in various roles. And my term as president actually just began about six weeks ago okay. at our national conference in Indianapolis. So I am very early on in my two-year tenure as president. Two I've, years. Yeah, it's wow. a two-year tenure, a year of president-elect, two years as president, and then a year as past president. And I'm very fortunate to have Dave Hebert as our CEO. Dave's been with the organization for several years, and he also knows CRNAs very well. Oh, so I, I remember think, when Dave was our yeah, lobbyist. So we, we've got a great combination of understanding advanced practice nursing in Dave. Now, let me ask you kind of an off-the-beat question, because we have just been talking about changing our structure within our organization because our national board is geographically chosen. We are broken down in regions. Do nurse practitioners do something similar to that or do you have at-large voting and people just get on the board like that? No, our organization is very similar. It's uh, based on the HHS regions of Mm -hmm. the country. And so we have state representatives. Currently, we have state representatives, then regional representatives, regional directors that sit on the board of directors. Ah, very similar to our structure. Yes. Interesting. I just, sorry, I digress just a little bit. So, Dave, so glad you're here. Dave and I have known each other for, what, 29 years? Or it's been a while. It's yeah. Maybe yeah. I shouldn't give it, a, give it a number. But they are so absolutely fortunate to have you, Dave. Thank you. So, tell us just a little bit about your role and maybe a little bit about the nurse practitioner profession. Well, you know, I have been very fortunate over the last seven years. I started with the American College of Nurse Practitioners as their CEO, and shortly thereafter was approached by the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners about a merger. And in 2012, the organizations discussed and agreed to a merger effective January 1st of 2013. And we have done some incredible things uh, over the last several years. You know, the ANP board has been supportive of so many things that I think are cutting edge between dramatically ramping up our lobbying efforts on the federal and state side to one of the things I'm most proud of is the uh, very aggressive 
uh, an assertive media campaign that we've had over the last two or three years. I could talk more about that later if, if we would uh, love to like. hear about that. And of course, what I'm perhaps most proud of recently is we just completed our brand new building, a new headquarters that we completed in May in Austin. And you know, I'm so proud of that. It was a great team effort. The board agreed to fund this uh, this new national headquarters, and it's really terrific. You said Austin. Austin. Wow. So you moved to Austin? I did. I moved from Alexandria, Virginia to Austin, and I've been a a Texas resident for the last several years. Well, that's a culture shock for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's been different, but it's been great. Uh, The people in Austin are very nice. I love Austin. Wonderful staff there. I love Austin. Now you're getting our heat. (laughs) The down south heat. It's it's a little bit warm. Yeah, but our winters are a whole lot nicer than Virginia's. I go back and forth quite a bit. I'm I'm there at least once or twice a month for, you know, whatever it's uh, policy meetings, hill meetings, nursing meetings, what have you. So I get back quite often. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. You were our lobbyist, the CRNA's lobbyist for many years. So clearly you find that that's been very helpful in your current role. And it's probably been helpful to the MPs because you know your way around Washington. He does. I, I'll speak to that. Dave knows all the players and Absolutely. it's very nice and he understands the importance of health policy within this organization, within the advanced practice nursing realm. Certainly, we need the health and with him knowing the players is great, which is why we keep an office in Crystal City, which is in Washington, the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And so Dave's at that office, uh, like he said, a couple times a month meeting with our health policy team and meeting with lobbyists and things like that. Well, you mentioned your PR efforts, and I know we've been very jealous of your PR efforts. They've been amazing. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about that? Sure. Well, this is something which I think has really taken off. We worked with a a PR firm as well as our internal communications staff over the course of the last couple, three years, and we put together a very aggressive program. First of all, we started by having a survey, you know, in terms of, you know, American knowledge about nurse practitioners, who are nurse practitioners, do they understand who NPs are and what NPs do? And we started to use that as an initial benchmark. We had some focus groups to look at messaging. And then we worked with our PR firm to create a couple of different television ads. And ultimately, the board agreed to purchase a very expensive ad buy, which I think has paid off. We are in various markets around the country. Our commercials have been on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, Ellen, various different shows around the country. And uh, we've also had a substantial ad buy in the Washington, D.C. area. And I think it, it has really been helpful in a couple ways. Number one, policymakers see that the ads either in Washington, D.C. or whether they're back home during district work periods, our members see them. And so it's an acknowledgement to our members as to what the association is doing on their behalf. And then, of course, the public sees them and they start to learn more about nurse practitioners. What about social media? Did you include social media in those ad buys? We have. We have a lot of digital ads that we have included, a lot of Google ads, in addition to, you know, what we push out, you know, through Twitter as well as through Facebook. And we have radio as well. And radio uh, there's, oh, nice. there's nothing like coming yeah. home, driving home from my office, and then our We Choose NPs ad comes on, and I, I just get a little bit of pride when I hear it. So it, it's great. It's great. Dave, what are some of the challenges that nurse practitioners are currently facing in this environment? 
Well, I think, you know, there, there are a number of things going on. You know, as Sophia mentioned, there are enough patients for everyone, but there are, are still some out there in the physician community who uh, have uh, issues with nurse practitioners practicing on their own. In 22 states in the District of Columbia, nurse practitioners uh, have full practice authority and they can do everything a family physician can do. Nurse practitioners work in physician offices. They work independently. They work in a variety of different settings. But there has been some issues over scope of practice questions and issues in various state legislatures as well as in the nation's capital. And so that is a continuing effort. And I think, you know, what we have tried to do is to say, this is not about independent practice. This is about full practice authority, allowing nurse practitioners to practice within their full scope. Nurse practitioners have great relationships with physicians out, you know, beyond the beltway, as we say, uh, and work uh, collaboratively in, in a variety of settings. But the fact is that if a patient wants to choose a nurse practitioner, he or she should be allowed to. And the nurse practitioner should not be required to have a piece of paper sitting in a drawer that requires either supervision or collaboration. Number one, it's a disservice to the nurse practitioner. It's a disservice to the patient. And it drives up the cost of healthcare because these collaborative agreements are often things that require the nurse practitioner to pay a physician or the physician's practice X thousand dollars a month. And that is an unneeded, uh, unnecessary cost to the healthcare system. And how many states still require that? You said 28 are full practice. 22. Okay. 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 So how many still require that? And and there's a reason behind my asking this. I live in North Carolina and we have been fighting this battle for and with nurse practitioners because I know they don't like this term. They have to be dual boarded, the board of medicine and the board of nursing in North Carolina. So we have to kind of love our MP colleagues from afar because they anesthesiologists want us to come under that same guideline so that we would also have to be boarded by the Board of Medicine because nurse anesthetists are only with the Board of Nursing. So we've been trying to get the MPs out from underneath that. The problem is they make money from the MPs and they don't want to let that revenue go. I mean, I understand. And if you look in the magazines for the docs, it says, you can augment your income by supervising nurse practitioners. So would you like to speak to that just a little bit, Sophia? Well, uh, 28 states, uh, if I'm doing my math correctly, 28 states still, 20, well, yeah, 22 yeah, yeah. plus DC have full practice authority. So 28 states still require some kind of collaboration or supervisory, some type of formalized written agreement with a physician that says that they will have some kind of contact. Some states do require dual boards to Mm -hmm. monitor. Most often than not, it's just they're governed under the Board of Nursing. But these collaborative written agreements are are simply what Dave says, a, a piece of paper that says a nurse practitioner is linked to this physician somehow. Now, the nurse practitioner may not ever see or speak to her collaborative or or his collaborative provider. Certainly, I would think that CRNAs in North Carolina would want to fly under the radar because you don't want to have to deal with that as well. The expense that some nurse practitioners are having to pay physicians for this piece of paper is sometimes $5,000 a month. Now, if a nurse practitioner wants to go into a rural area that she likely 
already resides in anyway, and start a practice to provide care to those residents, she'll have to have some kind of written agreement with a physician. And sometimes $5,000 a month when you're trying to start a practice is really, really difficult. And sometimes that's cost prohibitive. So if we didn't have these requirements that require this piece of paper, more NPs could open practices in the rural communities they already live in and provide care to those people that are already likely lacking access to quality health care. I'm just sitting here listening to this and it sounds almost <laughs> parallel the same that you know we talk about crnas all the time um, and it would seem that if everyone could sort of band together we could get a little bit more movement on things like this because it's basically the same argument am i correct in that dave is that well you know you are because essentially whether you're talking about a crna or you're talking about a nurse practitioner you've got healthcare professionals who have been trained to do a job to provide a service and can work on their own and should not be regulated by another healthcare profession. It's unnecessary. It's unreasonable. It adds cost to the system and it's anti-competitive. And I think that is one of the issues that appeals to a lot of people because policymakers are interested in, in how these things affect providers, but they're also interested in how it affects consumers in the healthcare system. And I think a lot of people are really interested in the anti-competitive effect when you've got one profession trying to regulate another. Yeah, very much so. Well, and it also leads into another question that pops into my mind is, you know, nurse practitioners and CRNAs both probably need to be active politically. Do you want to talk about how, you know, your population gets involved politically? Well, I think it's important for, first of all, all APRNs to understand what the issues are within their respective professions. So for CRNAs to understand what the issues are for nurse practitioners, we want to be sure that our members, our nurse practitioners understand what FPA is, full practice authority. And I think that's the first thing is we need to be sure our profession actually understands what the issues are. So what AANP does is do a lot to educate our members so they understand what that is. I also think it's important that professionals understand what a PAC is, a political action committee. And I tell people to donate to those PACs. Money makes the world go round. And we need money to actually impact healthcare legislation. So I tell people when I'm speaking to them the importance of donating to their PAC. It's an investment in their profession. It's an investment in their future. And when we can actually make things go around in Washington, it makes a difference. I believe that anesthesiologists have the largest healthcare PAC in the country. Yes. Oh, yes. They do. So I think it's important for your listeners to understand the importance of donating to the PAC so AANA can make things happen in Washington and help protect the rights that you've already got and work towards further healthcare policy. You know, it, it's also interesting, you know, we hear a lot of CRNAs that just say, you know, I don't like the political stuff. I don't want to be involved in it. Is it the same for nurse practitioners? Yeah, I think it's, uh, they don't want to be involved. They don't understand. And I think in any organization, there are a few people that do all the work and, and other yeah. people just go to work and come home every day. The 90-10 rule, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what it they, used to be 80-20. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of It's 90-10. It's more. And I think that um, what people People need to understand is that health policy and regulatory language and legislation is what drives your practice. We've got the Nurse Practice Act. And with the swoop of a pen, anything can be changed in that Nurse Practice Act. Your ability to practice as an advanced practice nurse can be changed with one bad bill. 
And the things that make those bills happen are the bills are being written, but without money to impact legislation, to get the ear of the legislators that are voting for these bills, the bill can be written, signed, and your ability to practice can be changed overnight. And so we take advantage of, we don't realize the importance of getting involved in health policy to protect the things that we've been doing every day. And then also to work towards, as far as nurse practitioners go, full practice authority, the ability to be able to practice within the full scope of our education and training without unnecessary regulatory language. Well, you know, she's speaking to me uh, and singing my song right there. I don't know if you realize this, Sophie, but I've run for public office. I've run for the North Carolina House of Representatives. Really? So let's fast forward. Nurses are always on the implementation side. We are not in the formulation side because we typically are not in positions of power. And that's what I want to change going forward. So I am getting my doctorate at Yale currently. And my partner, who was a CRNA, who ran my campaign, my campaign manager, she is also going to Yale. And we are for our project, setting up a campaign school for nurses at Yale to teach nurses how to campaign for office. So we're hoping that we can get nurse practitioners to come to our inaugural class because we need nurses in office. And whenever I was even doing my literature search, trying to do the scholarly piece of my project, everything that I would look for in the literature was just talking about advocacy and advocating, but not nurses in office. And this is absolutely something we have got to change. Nurses are the number one most respected profession, and we have not taken that for a ride at the ballot box. Politicians are trusted last. So think <laughs> about it. Uh, I mean, well, not really. Sorry. But, <laughs> but nurses could inject honesty back into politics. Well, hang on one second, Sharon, because uh, one of the things you didn't talk about is how much the anesthesiologist uh, bet against you in that race and what that, how much money was spent against you in the little race for... Uh, Usually the seat that I ran for didn't usually take over about $8,000 to win. It was a small rural seat. And they put about a quarter of a million of dark money in (laughs) in a super PAC against me. Now, what that tells me is they are terrified of us. But you know what? We have an MP in our state legislature, Gail Adcock, who is amazing. Oh, my God. She's all of five foot tall. (laughs) But I swear I think she's seven foot tall. Uh, Mm -hmm. She is absolutely amazing, Mm -hmm. and she carries her banner as an MP so proudly and puts that forward, and she is so respected in our state legislature. But we need more Gail Adcocks. We need Sophie's. In yeah. office. Look, I'd love to run for office one day. <laughs> well, I will. That. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, I think you should come to our inaugural class. I'd love to. When is it? Uh, okay. Hopefully next June. Okay. That will be all coming up. So we'll stay together on this because oh, yeah. I need lots of nurse practitioners in our inaugural well, class. Well, I think that's great. Empowering nurses to actually do more than just go to work and come home every day. Well, to get involved, get engaged, and make a difference absolutely. in the lives of their patients, their communities, and their profession. You know, nurses are perfectly suited to govern and to lead. Think about it. The things that you do every day are the things that 
will translate easily to politics. You're a great communicator. You know how to bond with people very quickly in 30 seconds. So you are used to dealing with a lot of issues all at one time. I mean, nurses are perfect candidates. They are perfect candidates. Yes, more should run for office. Well, that's what we're going to do. I need your help. What a great project. I need your help to do that. Hey, Dave, a little while ago, you you were talking about nurse practitioners and quality of care and health care costs. Can you just speak a little bit more about that? Because I think those are two main areas that I'm hearing a, a reoccurring theme here that overlap our listeners as well. Well, quality of care is very important, and you know there have been numerous studies done over the years that shows that nurse practitioner care is at least equal to and sometimes better than physician care. Recently, there was a study that was done by Peter Beerhaus, and it was published in the American Enterprise Institute publication and uh, was shown at an event at AEI last uh, fall. And one of the things that AANP continues to emphasize is the importance of research, and that's a big issue for Sophia and our board, is to continue to make sure that we uh, have continued funding for research. But I also want to comment, too, quality of care is extremely important to consumers, but so is convenience. And I think that's mm-hmm. why you have seen the rise of convenient care nurse practitioners at Miniclinic and you've seen them at Walgreens and in some states at Walmart. And, you know, people don't want to wait two and a half weeks for an appointment with their primary care physician sometimes. You know, they may have a a daughter with a, a, a sore throat and they want to stop by and get that taken care of and then go to their son's soccer practice. And so, you know, the expectations of consumers at this point in time, I think, are very high, and rightly so. They want quality health care. They want to get it in a convenient way, and they want it to get it in an affordable way. So I think these are all some of the great things that nurse practitioners are contributing to healthcare right now. Absolutely. And I want to tag on to that, that, you know, there's only one proper way to treat diabetes or high blood pressure. Nurse practitioners meet the same standards of care and, mm-hmm. and follow the same guidelines as our physician counterparts. So there's no one way to skin a cat. We're providing excellent quality care, meeting those standards and meeting those guidelines and providing the care that the patients ask for. And I could tell you at my office, um, when patients make appointments, they're asking for me. And if they have to see one of my counterparts, because I might be booked that day, they they sometimes get a little bit upset because mm. we've got that special relationship and they know I'm going to spend the extra time with them. Right. Oftentimes, they'll schedule a follow-up appointment with me just to make sure that what my counterpart did was what I would do because they, we've got this long trusting relationship. So I think it's what's special about nurse practitioners is we do take that special extra time, even at the minute clinics and those urgent care areas, we still do address the whole person. And that's what the relationship setting is what's so important about nurse practitioners. And you know, that's the nursing piece it is. of it, the holistic, but I loved what you just said about there's only one way to treat diabetes because I've always said that the same goes for CRNAs versus anesthesiologists. The standard of care is the same no matter who's standing at the head of that bed. Exactly. exactly. And so it's exactly the same. So I love that. Now, if I can back up for just a minute, we talked about whenever the two organizations came together. So do you think that that was important? Y'all had two separate organizations and merged in 2012, if I heard you correctly. Do you think that was helpful as far as, you know, 
power in numbers, I think, speaks volume. Yeah, I I agree. Power in numbers and a unified voice. The unified voice of the nurse practitioner profession is what's very, very important. And our goal is to have every nurse practitioner, all 270,000 nurse practitioners in this country, be a member of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners so we can speak with that one unified voice. I've applauded the CRNA profession because you do have a large percentage of total CRNAs as members of AANA. And I think it's important that we continue that. And so I applaud your profession for doing that because there is the unification in the numbers and you're speaking with one voice on behalf of the profession and advocating for your patients and your practice. Well, my program director used to say, without the American Nurses Association, there would still be nurses. Without the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, there would not be nurse anesthetists. Sandy Marie Ouellette told me that whenever I went to school at Wake Forest, and I absolutely believe that. Now, let me ask you one other question. Your credentialing, y'all have two separate credentialing bodies. How does your credentialing work as far, if you could address that, day? Sure. Well, and first of all, we are, are separate from uh, the American Academy of uh, Nurse Practitioner Certification Board as a separate entity. There's also a um, credentialing body under the American Nurse Association, ANCC. We have an outstanding relationship with, well, both, but particularly the, you know, the American Academy of Nurse Practitioner Certification Board. We do some various events together. We speak to one another's board and we do various activities together. And it's been a very good, very positive relationship. Mm -hmm. So nurse practitioners can choose. Correct. They can choose what certifying body they take their exam for. So nurse practitioners have to complete their program, graduate, and then to practice, they have to be nationally certified. And so we certainly recommend the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners certification as the we recommend that, but there are other certification exams that nurse practitioners can take, depending on their their role in population um, foci. Okay, so are there differences in that exam? There or? are differences. So we have the FNP, the Family Nurse Practitioner, the Adult Jero nurse practitioner exam. I'm looking at Dave for help with this. Um, The American Nurses Credentialing Center has, uh, for example, the pediatric primary care exam as well as an FNP exam. So I actually hold three national certifications. I have the AANP family nurse practitioner certification, and then I have American Nurses Credentialing Center family nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. and pediatric primary care certification. So I hold a few. Back when I finished with my nurse practitioner program, we did our tests on paper and pencil 23 years ago. There wasn't this take your exam and uh, find out right away. (laughs) So we we signed up for as many exams as we could because we didn't know what we were going to it took a couple months to get your results in because we, it was mailed in. So uh, I took several exams, passed them all, and just decided to continue my certification. Lots of letters after your name. Lots of letters. But so, I worked, earned every one of them. Absolutely. Worked hard. <laughs> I know that you have. So tell us, Dave, what are you most proud of in your role as CEO of the AAMP? Well, there are a lot of things that we have done. And, you know, I'm proud of a number of things that we've accomplished. But, you know, to be clear, it's been a team effort between the board, the staff, and the membership. You know, I'm proud of the strides we've made in public policy. We have been able to chip away at a number of changes under the Social Security Act and, and, you know, particularly when it comes to uh, making changes so that NPs can uh, provide mats for opioid treatment. 
I'm very proud of the tremendous public relations campaign that we have had over the last several years. And of course, I'm very proud of the new national headquarters, which uh, has been uh, quite an endeavor over the last two years, uh, working with our architect uh, and our construction company, both of which are outstanding. But I think it's been an incredible team effort among all of us to try and work together. And we have a lot more that remains to be done. And Sophia, who's just come aboard as president, has got a number of things on her list for us to do. <laughs> so we are, we are ramping up even more. But it's great. You know, it's a tremendous profession, and I'm very lucky to be part of it. So tell us about your time at the AANA. I was there. But tell some of our listeners what you did for us and how long you were with us. Well, I was with AANA from about 1995 to 2003. And a lot of people remember John Gard, who was then the, the executive director. And he hired me to be uh, the head of federal government affairs and to be uh, manager of the Washington office. And so one of the, th- the first things I had to do was John told me, he said, well, our, our lease is up and you've got to move or renew our, our lease. So one of the first things we did was we moved to a new central location and we had signage outside the window line and held uh, political fundraisers there and members of Congress would walk by the office uh, every day. And that was one small way of educating members of Congress on who CRNAs were. But of course, it was also the height of the big supervision battle Mm -hmm. and the AANA board uh, agreed to vigorously fund that effort. And so, you know, we hired several law firms and and lobbying firms and put forward a a robust effort. Unfortunately, President Clinton didn't agree to sign that regulation or allow it to go through, I should say, uh, until uh, very late in his term. And then, of course, President Bush put a hold on all the regulations. Then ultimately, a, quote, compromise was reached with the the sign-off by the governors in in various states. The opt-out. The opt-out. So it was perhaps one of the most intense parts of my life as we engaged in uh, that big supervision battle. Having said all that, and it's been great for me to to be here because uh, I've got a chance to renew all those relationships with people over the last several years. And so I've got my nurse anesthesia family, I've got my NP family. And when all is said and done, I'm just very fortunate to have, you know, been working for APRNs all these years. Well, they are certainly lucky to have you. I remember all of those battles, and they were tumultuous, uh, to say the least. But, Sophie, we are so glad that you have been here with us today. Please tell Penny Jensen I said hello. I will tell her. My sister from another mister. <laughs> so I will let her know. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we want to thank you both for being here. Do either one of you want to conclude on anything or anything you want to get across to our well, listeners? Now, you know what? Dave just was talking about the history. And mm-hmm. I think it's important, especially for your you know, your young members, your young CRNAs, to be sure they have a good understanding of the history of their profession and the history of the things that the prior CRNAs have done and worked for all these years to try to get the privileges that you have now, certainly for nurse practitioners, I think it's important that that, uh, our young NPs have an understanding of where we've come from and the things we've had to face and the thousands of hours that people have spent working tirelessly donating those hours on behalf of the profession. And so, uh, you know, reach out and and hug a a more seasoned NP or CRNA today to say thank you. Just do it appropriately, okay? Appropriately. Ask permission. Um, And what is that standing on the shoulders of giants, right, Oh, absolutely. And as Sandy Marie always said, we all 
drink from wells we did not dig. But interesting that you would say that because Jeremy and I have started a historical series and we have been interviewing CRNAs who were in the trenches and we've been talking about our founding mother of our organization, 1931, Agatha Hodgins. And so we've got a whole historical series going that people can listen to and learn about our organization. Speaking of history, the co-founder of the nurse practitioner profession is still alive and doing well at 99 years of age, Loretta Ford. Oh, I've heard about her. Oh, she's a fireball. Yeah, she is. Yes. So we're going to have our, our uh, uh, grand opening in next month, and she's going to come to our grand opening. And How of course, incredible um, is that? We're going to be back in New Orleans, Sophia's hometown, for our conference uh, next year, and so she will be there as well. So nice. That's, uh, so maybe you guys yep. could kiss 100000 for her 100th birthday. Well, and the other thing that's is awesome. <laughs> next year is going to be her 100th birthday, and it's the 200th birthday of Florence Nightingale. Oh, wow. And so you guys might have to come and do numbers. a podcast from New Orleans from our national conference. You had oh. your national congress there whenever I was president of the AANA because I came down there Okay, for that. Had a great time. Well, this has been great, Dave, Sophia. Thank you both for being here. We really appreciate it. Sharon, I think that's a wrap. I think it is. Well, thank everyone for listening. We appreciate that. We ask you to get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, so forth. Leave us a review. Sharon? That's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries 
to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny.